Ah, wasn't that fun? I enjoy that. Welcome this morning to Southside. This is Father's Day, and I'd like us to begin thinking about that in a little more depth, if we might. Everyone here had a father. Some good, some not so good, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But every one of us has a father, and from our father we have inherited some attributes and I think if we search our hearts deep enough, uh, we'll quickly find there is an attribute about our dad that influenced and impacted our lives. And we're grateful to God for that, the influence that our fathers have had. So what I'd like to do is just ask you to maybe call out an attribute of your father uh, that was meaningful for you meaningful, right? Okay, just wait. We're going to do this by section. Uh, so, for example, if, if your dad was kind-hearted, you just say kind-hearted. You don't need to preach. Uh, just rather shout out that adjective about your dad that uh, was meaningful. So, uh, let's start with the, the small size section here. No pressure on you guys, but uh, we got plenty. Determined. Good. Humble. Humble. Tough. Tough. Can be a good attribute. Hmm? Patient. Patient. Very good. Devoted. Devoted. Good. How about this section? Shout out some things that uh, I know it's kind of weird. Hard working. There we go. Steadfast. Accepting of others. Accepting. Good. Wise. Hmm? Wise. Wise. Good. Uh, Loving. Available, caring, giving. giving. Not yet. <laughs> I like it when people are ahead of the curve. <laughs> They're prepared. Anybody else? Okay. A jokester, a sense of humor. I like that. All right, the big center section, lay it on us. Protective. Protective. Ooh. Funny. Funny. Good. Generous. Generous. Bold. Bold. Good word. Helpful. Hardworking. Hard Good. Stern plus forgiving. I like that. I like that. Long suffering. Yeah. Tried the best he could with what he was given. Yeah. <laughs> Not with Ron. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yes. He's right there. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Good. How about this section right here? Adventurous. Adventurous. Selfless. Selfless. Tender. Humble. Good. Integrity. Integrity. There's a good word. Friend? Whoa. I like that. Hmm? Handy. Handy. All right. It's good to have a handy dad. Hmm? Mentor. Mentor. Sacrificial. Sacrificial. Peaceful? Wow, good. Wise with money. Wise with money, good steward. I like that. Hmm? Bold. Bold. Bald. Bald. <laughs> I'm staying with bold. <laughs> He's both. <laughs> it's great to have teenagers in the house, and it just makes things so fun. All right. 
The other junior section here. Fair? Fair? I like that. Supportive. Supportive. Good provider. Good provider. A leader. Mm. Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Patient. Good. All of these words kind of giving us a, a picture of dad. And on this Father's Day, uh, why don't we start there? I think that's a, a real good point to begin. And so as we uh, think about Father's Day today, uh, I know that it can conjure up many memories and emotions for each of us. I get that. Some good, some not so good. But if you wouldn't mind, uh, would you please allow me to take you on my own sentimental journey of my relationship with my dad today? I uh, kind of bear my heart to you, and uh, I think you'll understand perhaps where I come from a little bit better and who I am, uh, because our fathers definitely influence us. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. So 25 years ago, my dad asked for a meeting with his four children. 25 summers ago. And what's interesting is I was uh, preparing this message. I calculated, and my dad was 60 years old when he asked for this meeting with his four children. I am 60 years old now. And so I understand a lot more about my dad at 60 years old than I did 25 years ago. So it's kind of impacted me in a profound kind of way. And I understood now what my dad was trying to do by calling uh, the four of us uh, together. He gathered us to the place where we spent our growing up years in Poinette, Wisconsin, just north of Madison. And after walking the grounds of the McKinsey Environmental Center, which my dad managed for the DNR, and where we grew up, uh, we, really lived, we lived some of those good memories that we had uh, of growing up there and, and some of the fun times that we had as a family there. Then we sat down at a picnic table together and shared our hearts. Now, uh, my dad began by apologizing for not being there for us. He talked about his own frustrations and he talked about his own failures as a father. He requested a fresh start from us, his grown-up and just starting to gray adult children. It's kind of a weird meeting. We'd never done anything like that as a family or had that. Well, that's a nice picture. Which one am I? Oh, thank you. (laughs) But 25 years ago, weakened by a failing heart and hearing the sound of eternity knocking, Dad wanted to hear from each of us. And so uh, we each took our turn at telling Dad how we felt about him saying, I failed as a father. When it came my turn, I said the things I always wanted to say to him, never had the opportunity. You see, my dad was talented, incredible people skills, musical ability, is an excellent craftsman. He had all the right tools, but never quite enough time to show me how to use those tools. Often I would be upstairs while dad was down, creating a sailboat or a canoe or a cabinet or restoring a car or whatever he was doing, extremely talented with his hands. I longed for him to invite me into his world, but he never quite got around to it. 
He liked doing those things himself. He never really entered my world either. And so a strong performance piece grew up in my heart, wanting to please, wanting to show that I was somebody and show my dad that I was somebody. So three varsity sports in high school. I can only remember a couple of times he ever attended. I even played tuba for many years, all the way into my first year at the UW, just like my dad, but he never showed up at a concert. Back then, as a father of five myself, as you saw in the picture, I was just beginning to understand my own dad 25 years ago. I understand him a lot more now at 60 years old. So as we sat there staring into each other's souls, we both choked up. It's a pretty intense moment. God spoke to my heart. What he was saying to me was, look, your dad is not so much of a villain as he is a victim. Maybe you better look at this a little bit differently than you have been. He carried his own past hurts. My dad, dad, my grandpa, from a long line of doctors, died when he was very young, a rich doctor's kid's kid he was, with dreams of medicine. But while in pre-med, he got scarlet fever, which wiped him out of med school and broke the chain of a bunch of doctors. But he was like his dad in this, aloof and absent. I resented that. I resented that. He had no relationship with my children. He had very little relationship with me. But God showed me that my dad and I, we weren't so very different. Who was I to throw him under the bus? Who was I to throw him under the bus? He was doing the best he could. He was. When my dad died a few years later, we gathered for the funeral. My dad's wife, who was close to my age, was hesitant to give us kids anything that belonged to him. It was a painful experience. And that's why this carving means a lot to me. This carving. As I went to the basement, to my dad's workshop, for the last time, this dog was on his workbench. This wasn't just a dog. This was our dog, an Airedale. And pinned to his pegboard with his heart failing, my dad was carving this for me. He never finished it. But I, I thought a lot about that because when I grabbed this dog... I know that my dad was thinking about me while he was working on this. He was thinking about me. So this means a lot to me. It's one of the only things I have for my father. It's precious. It's precious to me. My dad was thinking about me. Then as I look into the word of God, I... See, my heavenly Father. David wrote that God not only knows our thoughts, he's thinking of us all the time. He wrote, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. Our heavenly Father is thinking about us as we carve out our life. And his thoughts are precious. 
His thoughts are precious. Jeremiah wrote that when God thinks of us, his thoughts and plans are for a hope and a future. That's how he's thinking about us right now. Oh, how he loves us. God, our Heavenly Father, is on our side. If he is for us, who can be against us? He's got our back. He's in our corner. And some of us may be pointing an unfair and unforgiving finger at our fathers and their failures. And we want to blame yesterday's failing for today's mess. Some of us may be thinking, you don't have a clue what my dad did to me. You don't understand. Let me tell you, I do understand. He may have abused you physically, sexually, emotionally, verbally. And you carry that pain in your heart. He may not have been there when you needed him, or maybe you never even knew who he really was. Really? Now understand, please understand, I'm not saying that what he did or didn't do was right, nor am I denying the scars that you bear in your soul right now. That's all truth. That is all reality. But I'm simply suggesting he's a fellow victim because we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. I'm saying for the kingdom's sake, for your sake, for the next generation, forgive him and let it go. It's time to let Jesus do what only Jesus can do and break that shackle and bring freedom to your heart. And we need to do it again and again and again. Let it go. Take the hand of your heavenly Father in the name of Jesus. Be healed. Be whole the way that he wants us to function. I've attempted by the power of God through his son, Jesus Christ, in a relationship with him to change and break and reverse the course of generations of absent fathers in my family lineage. Just two things I want to leave with you this morning about how I have worked diligently in my life with my five children to reverse the course of generations. Just two very simple things, not profound, but I think worthwhile. You see, I'm convinced a real man, a real man knows how to pray. A real man knows how to pray. And if I can leave you any lesson, it's this. Anyone here know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Anyone know what the real shortest verse in the Bible is? Now, John eleven thirty five 35 said Jesus wept. Some would say that's the shortest verse in the Bible. Not true. Not true. The shortest verse in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, which says never stop praying. You say, well, do the math. Well, I have. In Greek, Jesus wept is two words. First Thess is one word. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Why? Because prayer allows me to display my dependence, and I need to show again and again and again that I'm completely dependent upon God and not on myself. Prayer destroys the idea that I can be a lone ranger, a rugged individualist, a solo act, a nonconformist, or the notion that I've got my act together. Can't you see? It destroys all that. 
Prayer puts me in my rightful place and God in his rightful place. Prayer quickly dismantles my need to appear perfect and self-sufficient as we are prone to do. Prayer makes God's presence real and personal in the everyday stuff day by day, moment by moment, down in the trenches. Because I'm convinced prayer helps us to permeate the supernatural into the natural. Life is filled with important junctions. Prayer must permeate these moments at these crossroads. Now, Cindy and I pray with our children and now our grandchildren uh, before they went to school, at meals, at family devotions, at bedtimes, before trips, before special events, when they got a boo-boo. Whatever it was, we had to take the supernatural and inject it into the natural world to bring God's presence into the day-to-day. Not leave it for Sunday in this hour, but rather to bring the presence of God moment by moment into our family. So important. Prayer must permeate all of that at every one of these crossroads and junctions. And every day our life is filled with these moments. And if our kids can see us dependent on God and not upon us, it makes a huge, huge difference. Any time is the right time for prayer. So this establishes a pattern that will continue for a lifetime. And I started that story a while back, but I never finished it. It was December 19th, just a few months ago, this past December, that I got a call from my daughter, Anna, right? And I thought, oh, Anna's calling. Pick up the phone. Hi, Anna. Dad! I say, Anna, what's going on? She was at Easttown. Shopping on December 19th, gunman pulls it out, begins to fire. The whole mall goes into an absolute frenzied panic, right? So Anna's on the phone. Dad, what do I do? What do I do? Anna, where are you? I'm at the mall doors. Okay, go outside, Anna. Go. I can hear her carrying Lily, two-year-old granddaughter, and Lily's crying. You can hear the crowd, everybody's screaming. Just total chaos in that moment. Dad! What do I do now? Go outside, Anna. What do you see? Look around you. What do you see? Okay, the people are all running out, and there's a, there's a restaurant over there. Anna, go to the restaurant. Go inside of that building, because it was very cold that day. She didn't have her coat, because she ran out of the mall. So everything was chaotic. Dad, help. What do I do? Where do I go? Help me, Dad. So... We were able to talk her through that situation, and she texted later. She said this, Thank you for talking me through the incident. You were the first person I wanted to talk to. Dads make everything better. I love you. Wow. But you see, that wasn't an accident. That was from over a quarter century of praying with my daughter at those junctions. And immediately she turns and says, Help! Help. She understood that God was her help, but she wanted her dad. Dad, what do I do? What do I do, Daddy? Help me. I don't know where you are with all that, but it's never too late to start. Never too late to start. A real man knows how to pray. A real man prays. It helps me, prayer does, display my dependence, but also adjust my attitude. You know what? It's really hard to stay mad at someone when you pray for them. You ever got down on your knees and started praying for someone? It's like, oh, 
Oof. Hmm. You see, prayer produces restoration and reconciliation. Prayer begins to put things back together. Prayer restores my priorities and my perspectives. It suddenly snaps uh, everything into proper alignment. God's will, God's plan, God's way, doing it for him. Prayer changes me and understand that. Prayer is not asking God to do something. Prayer changes my own heart. And then I can change my family. And then I can change the world. But God first has to change my heart. Prayer changes me. Very, very important. We need to be praying. We must be men of prayer. And again, maybe you're saying, I'm not much of a praying guy and I really don't like praying out loud. And I'm saying, hmm, hmm. I challenge that. Your family, men, needs to hear you pray. And put off that attitude that I can do this myself. No, we can't. And you know it. You know it full well. Prayer. Dependence on God and Him alone. Secondly, well, let me finish that one. Three small boys were actually playing and not gaming. Unbelievable. But they started trying to outdo each other. One said, my dad is stronger and faster and smarter than your dad. Second little guy says, ah, no big deal. My dad knows the mayor. Next guy says, my dad has met the governor. And the fourth and final little boy says, nothing. My dad talks to God every day. Wouldn't you want to be that kind of man? Where your children know you talk to God every day. They see you. They hear you. A real man knows how to play. A real man knows how to play. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Love this picture. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now understand, this means to be childlike, not childish. And a lot of men are childish, thinking they're childlike. There's a huge difference. Sometimes boys have too many toys, too many distractions, and we have too many boys who can shave running around in America who need to grow up. So when I say a real man knows how to play, understand what I'm saying by this. I think that Christianity can and should be fun. Hello? Hello? Right? It's serious. It's life and death. It's eternity. But man, there's a lot of joy as well. A lot of joy as we do this thing. Playing builds bridges. Playing says you're important to me. Playing says, I like being with you. It opens doors for discussion. Boy, I wish I could unpackage that one. Some of the best talks. Jeremiah and Nathan played baseball. Lizzie Ann and Leah all played softball. I coached all their teams for a lot of years. A lot of years doing that kind of thing. We've had some wonderful times practicing and playing. And Playing reminds me to lighten up and laugh a lot more. Men need to play. We've got to lighten up, guys. It's not quite so serious. Quit taking yourself so seriously. Loosen up, would you? Just a little. Huh? Have some fun. 
Maybe smile once in a while. Just thought. Praying creates memories. Just my mind as I was thinking about this. So many memories. And so, remember when Jared and Nate were playing Clue Jr.? And uh, Nate won and uh, was taunting his brother and Jared jumped on him and Nate pushed him off and pushed him into the corner of the wall and he got stitches then off to the ER. Love to play those board games as a family. We're not competitive. No, no. Got a set of boxing gloves. Remember that. And the boys got into puberty and I would box with the boys. That was interesting. <laughs> I remember Cindy wrestling with the boys all the way in the high school. Man, I come home and they're wrestling. And the, Cindy would be, oh, she's tough. She is tough, man. So both my boys wrestled in high school. I remember my oldest daughter, Lizzie, and I would tickle and torment her until she would say Uncle Freddy. She didn't want to say Uncle Freddy, but she knew the quicker she said Uncle Freddy, the sooner it would stop. It's easy, right? Uncle Freddie, you say that to her now and she'll know exactly what we're talking about because she knows she's going to get tickled, right? Uncle Freddie. And the fun continues as adults, right into our adult years. Uh, when they gathered for my 60th birthday in November, we went down to uh, Escape Milwaukee and uh, these things are popping up all across the country and they put you in a room and give you a set amount of time. You've got to solve the puzzle and they're very intense, very intense. And we were the only team. We were up against business teams, uh, corporate teams, and we were the only team to finish uh, and successfully do it. We did it with less than one minute on the clock. Woo, baby. Uh, But we did it. And the next day, we went home, and we do what we call the annual Teshon dance-off. And we put on some hip-hop music and then form a runway, and everybody does their solo best dance moves. Uh, And then we vote as a family. Uh, so uh, from the youngest uh, to the oldest, which is me, uh, we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun at them. But see, that comes from years of learning to play together, of having some fun together. So important to the dynamic of the family structure. We have to do these things. Now, Brooke Adams, dad, was named Charles. He was an important man by the world's standards, ambassador to Great Britain under Abraham Lincoln. Brooks kept a diary as a child when he was eight years old. He wrote, Today I went fishing with my father. It was the most glorious day of my life. Now, Brooks' dad, Charles, also kept a diary. Here's what he wrote on the same day. Went fishing with my son, a day wasted. You see, it's all a matter of perspective, is it not? It's all a matter of perspective. We might think of playing as a waste of time, but it isn't. It's an investment in the future. And so, Addison, our 11-year-old grandson, staying with us for a few weeks, and uh, he went fishing from a boat for the first time on Friday and caught his first walleye. And I got pictures of it. And you know what he'll remember about that day? Grandpa took me fishing. And he'll remember that the rest of his life. We have to play and pray. My dad's gone. I miss him. Today on Father's Day, I will rejoice and cherish the cards and comments from my own five children. They're precious to me, but I miss my dad. He found Jesus shortly before he died. 
what I admire about him, he tried to make things right at the end of his life. He tried to get it right. Before he passed, he sent me this handwritten letter. He said, Dearest John, the prayers and caring thoughts you have had for me have been most appreciated and deeply felt. I am so proud of you and the way you have built your life to the success that you are as a family man and a disciple of Christ. During the years we have been father and son, there have been many changes in both our lives. My heart is hurt because I feel I have not been the father I should have been. Our recent times together and the plans for more time spent together make me feel closer, and that makes my heart happy. My love for you has always been there, but not always expressed. I feel you understand, but I need to say it. I love you. I love your love of God and of Jesus Christ. I love your dedication to the people of your church, and I know they love you. I love your success as a father and husband and as a family man. I'm also here to give whatever I can to help you as you continue your life's journey. Your loving dad. This is precious to me because I can hear my dad saying, I love you. I can't ever remember that in my ears, but I can hear it in my heart that he loved me. So I look at this dog and I say, You were thinking of me, dad, doing the best you could. Thank you. Thank you. But every Father's Day, there's a huge hole in my heart. Some of you know that feeling. Some of you men have filled that hole in my heart with your love and wisdom and guidance, the way you follow Jesus. I'm watching you, and you're a father figure to me. I say, press on, guys. Press on. We've also got a lot of guys here who are new dads or about to be dads, and I want to be an example to them. May God help us all on this Father's Day. Father's Day in America, been around for 100 years, 70 million dads in this country. Spending today will reach about $13 billion or for this event. The average person spending about $115 on gifts. Having served in Thailand before coming here, Father's Day is celebrated in December. It's the king's birthday. Everybody wears yellow because that's the king's color. Massive celebration in the country. In Germany, many men drink all day at beer gardens on Father's Day. But I wonder, what would happen if men made today more than a holiday but a holy day? A day in which men would take seriously their commitment to Jesus. A day in which men were not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Men would be real men. You see, living a sold-out life for Jesus today should be terrifying. It means swimming upstream. It does. It means walking alone at times. The responsibilities are enormous. The rewards are elusive. We could find it in other places. The easy road says run away, start over. The high road says stick it out. Look at the multitude of men who have walked away from family to find fulfillment somewhere else, and I come from generations of that. Walk away from your family, find life, start over. 
I am convinced that most men don't fear fatherhood so much as they don't know how to be men. Real men follow God really hard. I'm wondering. Anybody here be a real man? Would you be man enough to stand before your family and friends and declare that I'm not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus, that I really do love him? And I want you to understand we honor men in this place. We honor men in this place. We acknowledge the God-given authority given by the word of God as authority in the head of their homes. We celebrate biblical manhood the way God intended it to be. It's celebrated in this place. And we do that by praying. We do that by praying. And so, if you would, please bow your head with me. I'd like just for a moment to talk to our men. Guys, if you are sensing God would say to you, stand up, stand up, make a stand for me. Not perfect, but your heart certainly saying, I want to do this right. Our God is love. I want to love my family that way. I might not be so good at it, at least from my perspective, but I, I do want to do this right for you, Lord. And if you're that man, if you're that man, would you just stand right where you are? Just stand right where you are. You sense the Holy Spirit just kind of tap it on your heart. Jesus, help us all. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we celebrate you today as our Heavenly Father. You are God. You are loving. You are gentle. You are firm. You are fair. Some of those attributes we mentioned earlier. And you are so much more. You are perfect in all your ways. You are God. You are our Father. We thank you. Thank you for the gift of earthly fathers. For many of us, our dads are wonderful examples. They have been, they were, they are of you and your love. And we say thank you, Lord, thank you for those examples. For others of us, we ask for your healing today for hearts that are hurting. We have among us fathers who really don't want to be, honestly, and other men who would give anything to be a father in this moment. We have those who have been abused by their father, those who are far away from their father, those who may not even have known their father. We have those who wish they were with Dad this day and those who are very glad he's not around. We have those whose fathers are alive, but he might as well be dead by the distance. And those whose fathers are gone. And we would give anything for one more opportunity to talk to our dad. Lord, we come to you today just as we are, men some celebrating, some simply surviving. Would you show us today how to trust you? How to trust you, our perfect and loving Heavenly Father? Would you lift us up to your lap and whisper to our hearts how much you love us and that your thoughts toward us are good? You accept us just the way we are. Jesus, we need you. We need you to come into the heart of each man 
and encourage him, strengthen him. And I know they're crying out to you. Help me be more like Jesus. Help me, forgive me. And so we claim that healing, we claim that forgiveness, we claim that freedom because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. It is finished. It simply now needs to be appropriated. God, we come to you and ask that you fill us with your spirit. That you free us by the blood of Jesus. That you renew and you restore us. And make us the men that you create us and put us in this place, in this city, in this moment to be. Lord, help us. For your honor and glory, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our community. Lord, move in our hearts, not just in this moment, but help us to drive a stake deeply for your sake because of what you've done for us. And we rejoice. We receive it with grateful and glad hearts knowing that you are God. And so for each man here, Lord, Lord, do that work. Free them from that thing that's on their heart right now. And Lord, fill us all with your joy. It's a joy to follow you, Jesus. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your love that never fails, never runs out, never gives up. Our God is love. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And together all the men said, amen. Amen. You may be seated.